You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Hey, uh, we don't have uh, any announcements by way of preface today, so we're just going to get straight into the fourth week of our series that we're doing called Church on the Move. Uh, If you're new to Revolution Church, it's a little out of character for us because typically what we like to do is go verse by verse uh, through books of the Bible, but we are getting ready to literally move as a church on Sundays from here at the mall to a mile down the road to the movie theater, okay? Now, we're all excited about that, but here's what we know about moving. It's hard. If you've ever moved before, you tend to turn on the people you love the most, you know what I'm saying? And so... So we're going through this series to make sure we all understand the vision of Revolution Church, why we're doing this, uh, what we can expect. And really, we've come away every week. This is the fourth week, but the first three weeks, we've come away with some basic concepts. Uh, Week number one, what we learned was every single one of us is a greeter. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a greeter. Some of y'all need to get that stink face off, boy, I tell you. Goodness gracious. Week number two, Pastor Brandon, our next-gen pastor, did an incredible job, preached the best sermon of the series so far, in my opinion, when he said, every single one of us needs to serve. So find somebody around you and say, you're a servant. Growth track is packed out. We've had like 20, 30 people in there. Y'all that haven't been through growth track, get in there. We'll help you discover your purpose so you can make a difference and uh, you can start having fulfillment in your life. Last week, really what we walked away with, we talked about Christian freedom and what that meant, and really we talked about being non-selfish, but we learned we give our seats up for the visitors. So find somebody around you and say, give up your seat. They don't mean right now. They love you. They don't want you to leave right now. Today we're going to take a little bit of a different turn, and I'm going to preach a message that I hope ministers to you in here. Uh, If the last three weeks have been super, super applicational and really applied to us corporately as a church, today will apply corporately, but I think it's going to apply more individually uh, to help some people hopefully get over the hump and maybe find a place where they can find some freedom in their life so that God can use you to do all those things. Uh, I was studying through the Bible and looked at one of the most popular historical moves literal moves where God's people moved from one place to another place. And that's where we're going to camp out today and probably the next two weeks. And it's when the Israelites were set free from slavery from Egypt. You can find it in the book of Exodus and you can find it in Joshua. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14. And I'm going to preach a sermon to you titled, No Turning Back. The book of Exodus is an interesting book. You probably know it if you've been in church for a good amount of time. If you don't know it, allow me to give you a synopsis of the story leading up to Exodus chapter 14, where we're going to be today. The Israelites, also called God's people, were under extreme slavery under the Egyptian people at the time. Extreme slavery, being beaten, they're in poverty, and the Egyptians are treating the Israelites terrible. Well, long story short, God raises up a leader named Moses that leads God's people, the Israelites, to freedom. He does this by sending, if you've ever seen the Disney movie, uh, uh, The Prince of Egypt, he does this by sending 10 plagues 
that causes Pharaoh, who was the leader of the Egyptians, to release the Israelites. So in Exodus chapter 14, God's people are literally in a transition where they are moving from slavery in Egypt to another geographical location known as the promised land where they are going to have freedom. This is where we pick it up in Exodus 14, starting in verse 5. Y'all with me? Say, I am. It says this, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near, and I'm going to try to say these words, but you can't say them either, so don't judge me, uh, Piharoth, opposite Baal Zephon. I'm going to give you five principles today that we can glean from Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to do my best to not eisegete this and read too much of ourselves into this. It's typically I do really an expository of it, but I think that from this chapter of the Bible, we absolutely can apply these five principles in a spiritual sense to our lives. The first one is, one of the most crucial times in your life, and there could be several of these times in your life, one of the most crucial times in life is after you're set free. It's after you're set free. Major victories that God gives you in life are almost always followed by another major battle that will take place. If you think that God is going to give you a major victory over something in your life, and then you're going to slide into a season where it's going to be laid back, it's going to be chill, you're going to be able to enjoy yourself, the majority of the time you have another thing coming. See, when God gives you a major victory, maybe He has healed you physically, maybe He's reconciled a relationship when you get saved, this happens. When you're set free from your sins and, and you're sealed for eternity and you know you're going to heaven, whatever way God gives you freedom in some way, you need to have your head on a swivel knowing that another attack is coming. Right after is crucial. I'll give you a couple of examples in the Bible because we see this over and over. The first being, remember Joseph and the coat of many colors in the book of Genesis? If you don't know that story, Google it, read it. Joseph gets promised uh, to be over his household. God gives him a prophecy, and immediately his brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph works his way up from slavery into one of the most powerful people in the kingdom. Major victory, right? And what's waiting on him? Potiphar's wife to accuse him, and he gets thrown into jail. Works his way back up. The concept holds true. I've told you guys this before, you know this, and I've, I've told you this, that when I baptize people now, I started doing this about five or six years ago because I've watched as a senior pastor and in full-time ministry over 15, 20 years, this concept just hold true. When I baptize people now, I look at them and I say, listen, 
God's setting you free. You're taking your next step with him, and the enemy is not happy. And I literally say these words, and I'm not meaning to offend you, but this is what I say. All hell's getting ready to break loose in your life. It's getting ready to get crazy. Remember when Jesus was baptized? What happened immediately after Jesus got baptized? He goes to the wilderness and he's tempted over and over and over again by Satan himself. I can promise you that when you start to take your next steps with God, when you're set free in some way, you'll face battles. When you say, you know what? I've been riding the fence of this thing and I I think I need to honor God and not forsake the assembling with other believers. And you commit to a church and say, I'm going to start going to church. I guarantee you something will happen that will cause you to not want to come to church. There's going to be drama in the church. Sunday mornings, boy, the kids act just a little bit different than any other morning of the week. You start serving. You know, I've said several times, i got to quit saying this, but you get off your blessed assurance, right? And you start to actually wash feet and recognize that God has called you to a purpose to actually lead you to fulfillment and bless others, right? You start serving, I guarantee you something's going to happen. My son serves in the nursery. And he loved it until one day when he was sitting in the nursery and a kid pulled something brown out of his diaper and tried to give it to him. And then he tried to eat it. My son came home that day saying, I don't want everyone to do that again. I mean, y'all know that's true. You start giving, you know what? I'm going to honor God with my finances. And I'm going to be generous. I'm going to start tithing. I, I can guarantee you that within a month, you're going to have some type of financial crisis that is going to tempt you to quit giving. Over and over and over. You start growing with God. Do you think the enemy is going to leave you alone? Or do you think he's going to chase after you? And he's going to pursue you to try to make you ineffective. Again, so many examples of this. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? If you don't know the story, Google it again, read it again. For time's sake, we can't read it. But Elijah himself single-handedly takes on hundreds of prophets of Baal. He defeats them. One of the greatest victories we see in the Bible, incredible miracle that takes place. And right after this major victory, where's Elijah? He's in a cave wanting to kill himself. He's suicidal. Jonah, same thing. He didn't get on board at first. God had to swallow him with a fish, but he eventually goes to one of the most pagan cities, and we see the greatest pagan revival and repentance take place in Scripture, and right after this revival takes place and the people turn to God, where's Jonah? Sitting by himself, cursing God. Why would you save these people? You've got to be on guard. Jesus spoke to this concept uh, in Matthew chapter 12, listen to what Jesus says. Just listen to the concept of this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. In other words, the person I left. We call these things addictions. We call these things things that we struggle with. I'll go back to the person I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. So here's the concept, really, just a side note. Um, You can get your house in order. 
you can think you're set free, but if your house is unoccupied, in other words, you haven't filled it with the things of God, when those demons come back knocking on your door and looking through your windows, if there's room for them, they're going to work their way in. It says this in verse 45, then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Y'all, I need to tell us this corporately as a church, okay? Obviously, this applies individually, but corporately as a church. We're 10 years into this thing, and I believe this has been the best 10 years ever, or this has been the best year in the 10 years of Revolution Church ever at Rev Church. If you don't see the Holy Spirit working at Rev Church, you are blind as a bat, baby. You need to go to the eye doctor and get some goggles on your eyes. You know what I mean? Because we got more people getting saved, more people getting baptized. Y'all are being more generous than ever. God has given us a facility that we didn't even know was on the radar. I don't use the word miracle a lot, but I'm telling y'all, that is on the verge of a miracle right there. It is all God. It was the favor of God that we got the old Rocky Top 10 Theater. It's crazy, right? So you think with all God's doing through us, we know this. The enemy is peeved off. What did y'all think I was going to say? Peeved off. I'm being good, okay? I'm trying to be respectful. He's angry, man. He wants us to fall. He wants this movement to completely stop in Crossville. Crossville, Tennessee? Are you kidding me? There's no people in Crossville. How are you reaching so many people? I met with my staff, and we found out we were buying the Rocky Top 10 Theater, and I met with the men, and my wife, Brooke, talked with the ladies, and I can remember, Jeff, you remember this, Brandon, you remember this, I sat down with the guys, and I said, we got a target on us now, guys. I said something to the effect of, we got to watch it, because the enemy would love nothing more than for one of us to do something stupid like have an affair, steal money, do something unwise, say something stupid on social media, Man, watch it. Watch it right now. We got to have each other's backs. We cannot mess up right now because God is doing something incredible and we're in the midst of it. Watch your tongue. I told you all a few weeks ago, hey, when the lights come on, the bugs come. The wolves are on their way if they're not here already. I'm not trying to make you paranoid. I'm just telling you. Every time there's a move of God, the wolves come. Want to destroy the unity. Destroy what God is doing. So we got to recognize in the middle of great moves of God is when the enemy is scheming. He's prowling. He's looking. Apply that to you individually, but let's apply that corporately. Let's continue in verse 10. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Continues and says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Now, these are the same people that saw the ten plagues of Egypt play out. Same people who saw the might of Yahweh, their God, work supernaturally. And watch what they do. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Complaining. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Principle number two, your mind and your flesh will trick you into thinking things used to be better. Before you knew Jesus, before you were set free, 
Every single one of us, psychology has proven this, and they know this from science. And first, we saw this biblically. The Bible absolutely talks about this, and you'll see this in a second. But all of us have what's known as neural pathways in our brain. How many people in here have a brain? Raise your hand. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a negative ninny. If somebody around you didn't raise your hand, look at them and say, get positive. Come on, man, like you're in church on a Sunday morning. Well, in your brain, there are what's known as neural pathways, and it's best explained as these are highways that your brain has built and concreted in, and it's where we get our habits from, and it's where we get our thought processes from. And every time something happens, we go down these roads. Well, when you're set free from something like slavery, when you're saved by Jesus, when you're healed, you have to create new pathways in your minds or new habits or new thought processes. And in order for you to do that, it's not easy. Some people can be set free in an instant. I'm not saying God can do that and limit him to that. But for many of us, we got to get the jackhammer out. We got to bust up the concrete. We got to build a new road. Have y'all seen how long it's taken them to build this road out here? I mean, the, the roundabout, hello? That's the way it is with you spiritually, this idea that immediately I'm never going to want to do drugs again and I'm never going to lust again and I'm going to be perfect. You, you, you're smoking spiritual crack if you believe that. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to say it. When this happens, the temptation is to go back to what we've always known. This is what the Israelites are doing. They're buying into the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and they've got the mindset that we're the old dogs. We're always going to be slaves when God set them free. You've heard that old saying, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I got this from Jeff, who's our Rev Men's minister. When we think about that saying, hindsight is twenty twenty, the tendency is to look back at what we can see clearly because we understand that, even if it's broken things. But it takes faith to look forward and trust God and move where he wants us to move, individually and corporately. The challenge for Moses was to get the people to focus on what was in front of them, not, from, not on what was behind them, if that makes sense. Uh, this past week, I was driving down the road. I was almost home. I was on Dunbar Road, about to cross Miller into my neighborhood, and Dunbar is this road I think there's several Dunbars, but this Dunbar is a road that had like no turning lane, no side lane. It's just a little back road. It's really tight. It's got a couple of blind hills. And I looked down because I felt something moving on my arm. And on my arm was a woolly spider about that big. One of those real fuzzy looking ones. Okay, y'all? With the big eyes. It's looking right at me, just chilling on my arm. Like looking right at me. And I could have freaked out. I could have wigged out, but I'm on this little road, and I knew if I do that, I might wreck. I might hurt myself. I might die. So I stayed calm, and I stayed still, and when I got to the stop sign, I opened the door, and I brushed it off. This is what we have to do in our lives. We get distracted with the spiders and get off focus. We're going to wreck. We're going to injure ourselves and other people. We might die. you got to stay focused. And when you get to the stop sign, brush it off, man. Brush it off. Your mind will play tricks on you. I've noticed, you know, 
with people, again, I was this way, and I think all of us are this way, that when someone gets saved, there's this immediate feeling of joy and relief and like, man, this thankfulness and gratitude that we have where it's like, and for different people, it can last different amounts of time. For some people, it's like a week that you feel like you're on cloud nine. You can't believe Jesus would save you. For some people, it's like a year that you go where anything that goes wrong, you all keep it, you keep it all in perspective because after all, you're saved and you're going to heaven and your mind is set on heavenly things. And you're, but at some point, the emotions go away that are the happy emotions. You notice that? For every single one of us. Now, the church is at fault because we've really done a disservice to really pitch it to you guys like it's all about emotions. And, and if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be happy all the time. But the thing you're guaranteed when you follow Jesus is you're going to hit some hard times. So I've watched people, as those emotions start to turn, and they're like, wait, life's hitting me now. Things are hard. I'm going through attacks. Where's the happy feelings I used to feel? Listen to me when I say this. To mature and grow in Christ, the Bible tells us it takes tribulation, it takes trials, and it takes tests. This idea that you're going to get saved and then everything's just going to be candy land after that and it's going to be perfect and go great, uh, the encouragement's coming, y'all, okay? Hang in there, okay? I see y'all's faces. You're like, gee whiz. It's not true. If you look at a bodybuilder, the reason they have big muscles is because of the tension that they create when they work out. And what they're actually doing is they're breaking their muscles down in order for them to build back bigger. It's the same thing spiritually. In order for your spiritual muscles to get bigger, so to speak, there has to be tension. There has to be trials. There has to be tribulation. There has to be tests in order for your muscles to build back bigger. Listen to me. You cannot just follow Jesus based on feelings. You see this with the Israelites? Things don't look as great as they were when they were set free, and now all of a sudden they're talking crazy again. You have to follow Jesus based on truth. Based on truth. Everybody say truth. Last night was a rough night, wasn't it, Vol fans? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? It's tough, man. It's tough. It was bad. It's interesting. You get on Facebook. You get on Instagram. You get on any social media website. About 75% of the fans, they're done. Fire the coach. We need a new quarterback. This is the worst team I've ever seen. The stadium next week will be half full because the ball lost. You know why? Because most fans are what they call fair weather fans. Hey, last year, we went down 100 people when they beat Alabama on the weekends. You know why? Because y'all were staying up late watching college football, and you were too exhausted to come to church the next day. But when the Vols lose to Florida, all of a sudden, everybody's out. Isn't that the way it is when it comes to Jesus? When I'm on top of the mountain, when things are good, my job's going good, my marriage is good, my spouse isn't acting up, my kids are being good, I got money in the bank, I'll praise Jesus, I'll come to church. 
But when all heck breaks loose, when things go wrong, when I can't explain what's going on in my situation, when I get a diagnosis, when I'm broke and can't pay the rent, when I'm having to live on faith, it's a lot harder and you see the fair weather fans. Don't let your mind and your flesh lie to you. The idea is this. God does not ju just desire to justify you. He also seeks to sanctify you. Salvation, we've explained this several times over the last year. There's three parts to it. And the first part, when you get saved and your eternity is sealed, is called justification. But after that, there's more salvation available to you in the form of sanctification. In other words, you become more like Jesus. Those neural pathways start to change and you get what's called in Scripture the mind of Christ. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, y'all know it, the renewing of your mind. Those habits, those neural pathways. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Get out of the past. Rip the rearview mirror off. You can't drive staring at the rearview mirror when you're going forward. Look through the windshield at all the possibilities God has. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice as the God of peace will be with you. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. If I could rephrase that just a hair, not to do disjustice to the, the Scripture, set your mind on the things God has for you instead of thinking about the past all the time. Instead of allowing your flesh to lie to you and your mind to lie to you. Let's continue. Number three. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Listen to this command. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Then Moses goes into reminding them. The Egyptians you see today will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Number three, rest in God's promises when you doubt. Rest in God's promises when you doubt. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 20-22. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Why do we say amen at the end of prayers? This is why. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. His seal. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Herbert Lockyer uh, wrote a book called All the Promises of the Bible. And in it, he quotes a Canadian teacher named Everett Storms, who read through the Bible some 27 times uh, in a row and took a log of how many promises there were in Scripture. And he came up with 8,810 promises that he found in Scripture, of which 7,487 of them are promises that are given from God to humankind. You rest in the promises of God when you're doubting. Are you going to doubt? Absolutely. Are you going to struggle? Absolutely. Are you going to go through tests and trials? Absolutely. But you don't rest in your knowledge. You don't rest in the world. You rest in the promises of God. 
When I first got saved, I was 18 years old. You guys know my testimony. Uh, started going to church with who's now my wife. We got married two years later when I was 20 years old. And my wife's grandmother, uh, her name was Geneva Summers. She was an, uh, lived in Sunbright, Tennessee. Y'all know where Sunbright is? Okay, some of y'all, how many of y'all know where Sunbright is? The locals know where Sunbright is. The rest of y'all don't know because you ain't never been there and you ain't never going, okay? So it's even smaller than Crossville. And uh, she was totally different than me, her grandmother. Loved Jesus, completely different. She was an old school, backwoods, Pentecostal female preacher. Okay, y'all? But one of the greatest spiritual influencers in my early walk with Christ. She got me this book called God's Promises. And this isn't the original one she gave me. I actually passed that on to my daughter, who now has this. And in this book, it's a real simple book that was for people like me. Like, I, I couldn't read the Bible. Like, when I first got saved, I just didn't get it. So I had to simplify things. Even now, I go to this book because it's just full of God's promises. It's full of scriptures that promise all kinds of things. Jesus is your, the Bible is your, what to do when you feel discouraged, worried, lonely, depressed, dissatisfied, condemned, what to do when you're experiencing fear and need of fellowship, what to do, all these different categories. And I'd go through and I'd mark it up. One of the best things I ever got in my early walk, because you better believe I doubted a lot. I had a lot of hard times. I wasn't immediately set free from sin, still not, still struggle to this day. When those things hit me, I go to the promises of God. When you doubt, hold on to the promises of God. Moses gives a command here. He says, number one, don't be afraid. A command that you'll find 365 times in Scripture, not to be afraid. In other words, trust in God. Secondly, he says, stand firm. In the Hebrew, stand firm. It means this, and you see this phrase also repeated all throughout the New Testament, which I'll quote, tell you about here in just a second. Both in the Greek and the Hebrew, stand firm implies stability, firmness, a strong devotion to something. So when Moses says stand firm, he's telling the Israelites, stand firm, remain devoted to God in the face of the Egyptians that are on your heels. Consequently, what it's telling us is we stand firm and remain devoted to Jesus no matter what is going on in our lives. The word picture for stand firm is a tree standing firm against hurricane-like winds, soldiers holding down a fort, a spouse supporting a sick partner. It means loyalty. It means faithfulness. It means devotion. And it means being unmoved no matter what is going on. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. And I actually like another translation that adds something in there. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith. And it's speaking directly to the men. It says in there, act like men. In other words, to the men, quit being spiritual wussies. Step up, grow, never mind, okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why would Paul write this in almost every letter in the New Testament? You know why? Because people had the enemy on their heels. And he's telling them, hang in there. Stand firm. Ephesians 6, 11. I think we're going to do a series through the book of Ephesians. Last year, we did a series through Ephesians 6 on the armor of God. It was really good. You need to go watch it. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Galatians 5.1, we talked about freedom last week. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What do you think he's referring to? The Hebrews knew. He's talking about the Red Sea. We're not going back to slavery. Don't let your mind and your flesh fool you. We talked about Jesus' baptism. Right after Jesus' baptism, what happens? He's tempted over and over and over, three different times by Satan himself. How did Jesus fight Satan? Scripture. The promises of God. The commands of God. How, do you, how, how does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Doesn't stop there. Verse 10. I seek you with all my heart. Do, lo- do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let's continue. Y'all with me? Say I am. Verse 15. Y'all with me? Say I am. Too heavy today. Everybody good? Say yep. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. That's why this sermon is for somebody. You got to move on, man. God's got a purpose for you. God wants to use you. You need to discover it so you can make a difference. Start getting busy cooking some chicken for the kingdom instead of worrying about your past all the time, if that makes sense. I'm hungry. Sorry. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Fourth principle. All the things from your past that are chasing after you, God will use for his glory. All the things from your past that are chasing you, God will use for His glory. Whatever it is. A death you can't get over. A sin that you committed. It's hard to see it now for some of you. You can't see how God would use it. You may think there's no way God will use it. But all I can do is stand on God's word and tell you, God will use your brokenness. God will use your mess ups. God will use those things in your life that are the most painful. Whatever that is. I think about Rev Church, you know, on a corporate level. And I think about (laughs) in 10 years, all the things that we have messed up as a church. 
and how we've really learned how to fail forward because we don't get it straight. I mean, what's our tagline, y'all? Everybody know it? No perfect people allowed. Uh, maybe I did that at the beginning of the church because I knew how much I was going to screw up and I could always tell y'all, hey, I told you I wasn't perfect. I don't know. You know what I mean? But we've messed up a lot. But we've learned from it. And God's used it. I can remember um, used to, you can see the different colors of the carpet right here. Our sanctuary used to be from here over, and this is all we had, was like these two sections of seat. We didn't have these two. And uh, we were reaching tons of people. Well, I mean, we started with 5,000 square feet, 5,200 square feet here in the mall, y'all, when we moved from the theater here. That's all we had. But we had about three or 400 people that were coming to church, and so we had to have multiple services. And I can remember uh, Easter weekend one year, we were like, man, we want to reach a bunch of people for Jesus. And we're going to reach a ton of people for Jesus. We're, we're going to do it, man. We're going to reach tons of people for Jesus. And so we decided... I think we decided to have seven services in one weekend, y'all. And we had one Friday, two Saturdays, and I think four Sundays. And it was awesome. Friday comes, it's packed out, a bunch of people get saved, raise their hand, come to Christ. Saturday, two services, packed out, tons of people. Man, people are bringing people. It's awesome. And on Sunday, we said we're going to have four services, and we're going to do something we've never done. It's going to work great. It's going to be incredible. We're going to do like all these other churches are doing it. So like if we do this, we're pretty sure it's going to be a huge success. And we'll probably do it every single year at Easter. We said the first service is going to be a sunrise service. We're going to have it like at 7 a.m. And I bet it'll be packed out with people. Now, I mean, people came to our sunrise service that year too. Staff's walking in, half asleep. We've already done three services. I'm wore out. And we were so smart. We had a sunrise service with two people. Now, one of those people got saved, and they're still in the student ministry at Rev Church, and they still come, so it was worth it. But we're going out in the hallway, grabbing all the staff, saying, y'all got to go in there and sit down to where it looks like somebody's in there. So we went from like two to ten people when the staff came in, you know. We It's crazy. What a mess up. That ain't us. Remember the first week? We do things different. Why would we copy what other churches are doing? It never works for Rev Church. Why are we having sunrise service? Somebody wants to go to a sunrise service? There's 100 churches in Crossville that have sunrise services. Why would we do that? Fail. Major fail. And I know that's a light example compared to maybe what you're struggling with. But the concept holds true. You learn from it. Listen. The divorce was hard. Maybe you made a big mistake. Oh, I can, I'm not trying to say I understand what you're going through. But I can tell you, if you'll trust God, He will absolutely use it for your good. You committed some crazy sin. You can't believe you did it can't believe you did it. I just remind you of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You get the concept here? No turning back. Rip the rearview mirror off. God's forgiven you. 
maybe even that person that you did wrongs forgiven you, it's time for you to forgive yourself. It's time for you to quit carrying these bags with you. And today is God yelling at you saying, hey, everything's getting ready to change at Rev Church. You need to change too. Let go of it. Let it go. Move forward. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Let's continue. Now I got one point left, but I think it's going to be pretty quick. A lot of scripture coming up. One simple point. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. All the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right, and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, here's the concept, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Really simple point. Just give me a less than a minute to tell you. And this this applies to you individually, but it applies to us corporately too as we are literally moving, okay, y'all? The, the circumstances aren't as dire here, uh, but we're moving. When we realize the only thing we have to fear is the Lord, He will do something historical. If the people at Reb Church will come to the understanding that God's in control, the only thing we have to fear is Him, not the world, and we'll step out on faith, and we'll sacrifice, God will do something historical. Why do I say that? Because in the scriptures throughout the Bible, you will see what happens in Exodus 14 referenced 26 different times, Old Testament and New Testament. Translation, millions of people after this happened heard the testimony and were encouraged their faith increased because of what happened here. My prayer for Revolution Church is that we will be history makers. That our church will make history. That people will look at Revolution Church and be able to say, what in the world? How did y'all do this? And we know it's not us, but that's what the people will say. How did y'all do this? How did you reach this? You're in stinking Crossville, Tennessee. Y'all know where we are? 
This ain't Nashville. There ain't two million people to pull from. We're in the major metropolis of Crossville, Tennessee. How did you reach so many people? How in the world did God do this? And we just stepped out on faith. The only thing we were scared of was him. That was it. Amen, Rev Church. You step out on faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Everybody better like this sermon because I got done two minutes early. Thank you for your word, God. I pray that someone is encouraged today so that they can get on the right road to moving past their past, finding freedom so that they can discover the purpose you have for them and make a difference. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.